Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone! Welcome to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. It is therapy month. Woo, woo. <laughs> so in case you missed it, I have decided to organize my episodes into um, themed months. So this is therapy month and we're in the middle of therapy month and then next week we start next month we start a two month series on sex. Oh my god, how exciting is that? <laughs> yeah, we had to have two months on sex. Um, and then we're gonna have some divorce stories. We're gonna have a month on legal stuff where we're gonna talk about mediation and collaborative divorce and all sorts of things to do legal and some financial. Uh, it's just gonna go on from there. And you can check my Instagram page for the breakdown of all of the months. But this is therapy month, and I'm super excited today to bring you my interview with Sarah Shevitz. Now, you might know Sarah from Instagram. If you don't, you need to go find her. She is at Couples Learn. And Sarah, first of all, we're we're now our best friends. <laughs> which I know you guys hear me say all the time. But when I get together with like-minded women and we start talking, it goes so far beyond just this professional relationship. Like we just, we're, we know our values are aligned and the work that we're doing in the world is aligned and it means something and it matters and we, you know, become friends. So that's, that's what happens. Dr. Sarah Shevitz is a licensed psychologist specializing in love and relationships, and she's the founder of the successful online psychology practice Couples Learn. Sarah's been working with couples and individuals to improve their love lives for over 10 years now. Now, here's what's amazing. Dr. Sarah's private practice is relatively unique from just about any other couples therapist that you might know out there in that she is the one of the only doctoral level couples therapists whose practice is 100% online. Yes. I love this. I mean, first of all, I love the you know, I love the idea of online work because we can practice anywhere. We can sort of cross, you know, now in this virtual world, we can cross all these boundaries and it's wonderful. But the fact that Dr. Sarah has, you know, she is a PhD. She knows what she's talking about. <laughs> and uh, in this episode, we're actually talking a lot. We're going to talk about imago therapy, which is a very specific type of couples therapy that Dr. Sarah is very well versed in. Um, she's a specialist in. And uh, that my ex and I were actually in for many, many years. Didn't work for us, but you know. <laughs> and you're going to hear us do what's called an Imago Dialogue. We're actually going to have an Imago Dialogue together. So it's pretty fun. So here's my interview with Dr. Sarah Shevitz. Hey, Sarah. 
I'm so happy to have this conversation. I am. Yay. I'm obsessed with the fact that you do online couples work, first of all. And I want to like put that out there first and foremost, because I know that there's so many of my clients and so many people in my Facebook group and who follow me and listen to my podcast who can't find a good couples therapist in their network or in their area. So how does that work? How does remote couples uh, therapy work? It works great. I've what I've <laughs> no exactly what you said is a problem for so many people finding somebody good because couples therapy is a different beast. It's not the same as individual therapy, and a lot of individual therapists are like, "I'm in a relationship. I could probably do this. My relationship's going well," and they can't. No, um, so it's a separate training. It's an entirely different. Well. Layer. Uh, set it of should be it should be a totally <laughs> separate training <laughs> it, well well point well taken <laughs> yes however that separate training is elective so if you're a licensed psychologist or a licensed whatever social worker marriage and family therapist you can do couples therapy but I mean like for my practice myself and the people I hire I'm only hiring people and who've done what I've done which is take advanced level trainings in couples therapy um, whether it be Imago therapy or Gottman method or emotionally focused therapy, like some modality that is specific for couples so that you know what the hell you're doing. So that's number one is why it's hard for people to find somebody good because a lot of people just don't um, invest in that training. And then as far as how online works, people definitely have concerns about that. Like, is it going to feel the same? Am I going to feel connected to you? And what I found, and like, I'll be honest, I had concerns about that when I first started it. I was okay. like, how am I going to fit both people on screen? Like, how is this going to work? <laughs> <laughs> Not for Zoom. Do you use Zoom? Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what I found was the connection is still really, really good as far as like being able to sense what's going on and really feel the emotion. And in couples therapy, it's so much more about the connection and fostering the connection between the couple and not me. Like they're not talking at me. They're talking to each other in my sessions. Yeah. So that's the most important thing anyway. I'm just there kind of guiding them and coaching them. And then lastly, they're so much more comfortable in their own space that I find this is particularly true for men. They open up way faster. Oh, that's really interesting. I know. Because if you're sitting on your own couch, I mean, sure, like therapist's office look very nice. They're comfortable. They're designed to be a nice space, but nothing's as comfortable as your own space. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things that we uh, have talked about and that we want to sort of touch on here is how childhood trauma and wounds and our initial bonding really impacts our current present relationships. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think that there, there's, there's, there possibly, I don't know that there's a misconception that like, well, if I wasn't, if I didn't have childhood wounds, then I'd be able to have a healthy relationship. But since I do, or since he does, and since he suffered trauma, then it's actually not possible. Like, oh, well, <laughs> we're <laughs> yeah. right? And that couldn't be further from the truth. Like we're all fucked up, right? <laughs> we're all totally. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm the first to admit it. Yeah. Um, so, so how, how do you see this working in your, in your work and your expertise? Yeah. So I feel like a lot of people have 
they do have that belief of, am I just screwed for life because I had this trauma from the past? And Uh the answer is no. Um, But then I also see the opposite happening where people are like, oh, what? My childhood wasn't that bad. Like, sure, my dad hit me sometimes. Or like, sure, my dad drank a lot. Or my mom was bipolar or whatever. Uh But like, it was fine. And they minimize. (laughs) Totally. Because as an adult, looking back, it's like, yeah, that was fine. I survived. And logically, I understand it wasn't their fault and blah, blah, blah. As a little kid, you don't have that thinking. Mm -hmm. So it kind of goes that when you said we're all fucked, like literally there's always something in a kid's mind that was a trauma, an attachment wound that was like, oh, mom and dad weren't there for me when I needed them to be. And I was really scared that I might die. That's Mm -hmm. really what happens for a little kid. Yeah. And so whether you had big trauma or little trauma or you think you had no trauma, you're going to bring childhood wounds into a relationship. Like that is a fact. It's just going to happen to everybody. So let's, let's define this because I think that one of, the, one of the things that we are learning, I think that there's a cultural conversation about now, um, is what is trauma? Yeah. Right. Because, and I, I'm, I've, I am guilty of this myself. Like it was like maybe like five or 10 years ago that I was like, Oh, cause I thought like, well, I was never raped. I was never assaulted. I was like, that's trauma. Exactly. Right. I wasn't in Vietnam. Yeah. Right. So th- cause in, 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 I think from a, you know, cultural understanding that's trauma. Right. And we all get that. But that's not what we're talking about here. No. And so let's define that a little broadly. You, so the oh. ones that you <laughs> mentioned are big T traumas. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're usually, those are usually associated with PTSD. Kind mm-hmm. of like I got in a car crash, I was assaulted, a big but a time limited thing happened. Kind of like right. one big scary thing. Or right. war, you know, it's, but it's a, it's a shortened time period. Right. It's not your whole childhood. Then there's smaller T traumas that happen when we have a parent with a personality disorder or with a mental illness of any sort, really, or a, a addiction, which is also falls under mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, or we just have emotionally unavailable parents who are too caught up in their own stuff, sure, or like working all the time. Yeah, right. Yep. And maybe they don't have full-blown narcissistic personality disorder, but they have qualities of it enough that it impacted you. Yep. Yeah. And so that creates complex PTSD oftentimes, which is it's complex because little hurts happen often and consistently and frequently enough that you can never feel safe as a child. You can never feel secure. Like my parents have got me. Oftentimes you're the one who has to get them and take care of them emotionally or sometimes physically if they're really a, have a bad addiction or, or even chronic illness. I mean, there's so many things that can do this, right? That aren't their fault necessarily. Mm-hmm. Like an assault, you're like, okay, this person's fucked me up. <laughs> it's their fault. Right. But like yeah. when a parent is ill, and this is sometimes why people minimize because they feel like I have to make my parent wrong or blame them or hate them for doing this to me. And you don't. They were often doing the best they can. But acknowledging it is important and recognizing these were traumas. Like when you came home and were really, 
I don't know, had gotten bullied at school and were really sad about it. And your parents are like, suck it up, buttercup. It's not a big deal. That's a trauma. Mm-hmm. It's a little trauma. It's a little T trauma. It's not this huge, it yeah. could be a pivotal moment for you. But do, that happens over and over and over again. And the cumulative impact is as impactful, if not more impactful, than getting assaulted, getting in a car accident, going to war. Yeah. Yeah. And so how does that impact your future relationships when you have complex uh, trauma like that? Well, you just don't feel safe. And so there's so many ways that could iterate. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's a very sorry. That's a very general, no, very, no, very broad okay. question. We can probably yeah. dig into that a little more, a little more uh, uh, specifically. We can't. Like, I can um, name a few ways yeah. it can it can manifest. Is one is you feel like relationships aren't safe, and so you hold back and you don't allow yourself to be vulnerable, thus attracting emotionally unavailable people who are like, oh, that yeah, that's my energy that matches yeah. what I'm willing to give. Mm-hmm ultimately leading to you wanting more, getting hurt, being really maybe codependent and invested in fixing them, changing them, getting them to open up. So that's one way. Mm -hmm. Um, Another is that you're just totally shut down to relationships and don't even want them or can't maintain them. Or the other is that you become the really wounding person. I put that in air quotes. Mm -hmm. um, That is just kind of narcissistic yourself. <laughs> yeah, the aggressor. Yeah. Of. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So there's tons of ways that can manifest, and that's just a few of them. Yeah. And so do you find with, you know, I, I work with a lot of women who've been begging their husbands for years to go to therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, then they, you know, they don't go. They don't want to go. They don't want to go. They don't want to go. And then when the woman is like, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. And then the men's like, oh my God, I'm going to go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll do anything. Mm-hmm. And they're like, mm. <laughs> I can't tell you how many panicked calls I get from men in that exact position. Great. What do you tell them? <laughs> uh, this, is, this is awesome. Like panicked, right? They're like, oh shit. Mm-hmm. And the woman's on the other side being like, dude, like I have been saying this for years and they mm-hmm. are, I think they are legitimately blindsided. Mm-hmm. Like they legitimately never expected this. I know. And their wives are like, but I, <laughs> but I've literally been saying it for 10 years. I'm still not fully sure why that happens, to be honest. It's, mm-hmm. and maybe it's because I'm a woman and I just can't fully grasp how you wouldn't hear something like that over and over again, mm-hmm. but it happens over and over again. I literally have a post scheduled that I think will be posted on Instagram the next few days about this. <laughs> literally describing the pain of calls I get from these husbands and boyfriends that are like, she says we're breaking up. I didn't think it was that bad. Like, yeah, there were some problems, but I just didn't think it was that big of a deal. So, so what do you say to them? Well, I get them in because usually the wife is like, fine, I'll do my due diligence. I'll try. But I am pretty clear with them. Sometimes it is too late. One, yeah. one partner has completely pulled out emotionally and women leave emotionally before they leave physically, mm-hmm. then, you know, I just kind of set them up for, we'll give this a shot. And regardless, you're going to learn from this, regardless, you're going to grow from this. So it's not a lost experience, especially if you learn like in therapy, new communication tools, new 
things about yourself that you hadn't known. So if I, you know, if people can kind of go into it with that expectation of whether the relationship stays together or not, investing in myself is never a loss and investing in trying is never a loss. Then sometimes that actually, that like uh, releasing the attachment to the outcome is actually really helpful for getting the relationship to work. That's interesting. That's really interesting, right? Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I found, you know, I, I, I tell the story a lot about the fact that in my, with my marriage, you know, we were in all the therapy mm-hmm. um, and it, none of it worked to save our marriage for a variety of reasons, but they did help us have the communication skills that we could not put to use um, to save our marriage. We put to use in our uh, divorce, like fucking champs. Such a good point. To the point where you'll appreciate this, and we'll and we'll, <laughs> I want to talk about this a little bit more. But we had an imago dialogue in our first mediation session mm-hmm. about uh, about who would keep the house. Wow! And our mediator was like, "What the fuck just? <laughs> <laughs> what is this magic that's going on here?" Yeah, he was literally like. <laughs> what just happened? Because at the end of it, I was like, you know what? You're right. You need to keep the house. And the guy was like, what? So let's talk about Imago. (laughs) I just got chills down my spine. It's so powerful. And that is such a great example. And I'm like, hmm, this seems like a new outlet where I could use this. A hundred percent, right? Like literally... I think I asked, I was like, can I, can, we were in mediation and it was getting a little heated. And I was like, I'd like to have a Mago dialogue is now a good time. And he was like, I mean, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you who have no idea what the hell we're talking about, let's break this down. Let's, okay. let's break down what Imago therapy is. Mm-hmm. And I've talked about it a few times on the podcast, but I don't think I've ever actually gone into it in depth. So let's okay. talk about it. And then we'll talk about what an Imago dialogue is as well. Okay. So we could even okay. do one, maybe. <gasps> we could. We mm-hmm. could. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So um, so let's let's start. what is it? Okay. Imago therapy is a modality specifically for couples. And it's a mix of behavioral exercises, so like tangible tools you can use, which is super important with couples therapy. It's not just you're not just talking all the time and getting nowhere. Um, and then it's also a really structured way of communicating. The dialogue is that structure so that you can get to the deeper levels of communication. And I kind of talk about like a lot of times we have uh, horizontal conversations in that you're like talking about one thing, then you're talking about the next thing, then you're talking about the next thing. And you never go deeper with any of those things. It's just like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth about those little surface level things. Like I'm mad at you because of this. I'm mad at you because of this. You were a jerk because of that, blah, blah, blah. Then with Imago Dialogue, because, and just Imago Therapy in general, because one person is sending and one person is receiving, it allows the deep, this deepening. So you stay with one seemingly small thing potentially mm-hmm. for long enough that you get to the core of what it's really about. Yeah. And so this is vertical conversation. It's going from surface level, like skipping across the horizon to going down to the core of the earth, like what is down in there. Yeah. And it is powerful. It is really, it can be like super, super powerful. Yeah. 
I once heard an Imago dialogue about that was about toilet paper, about the fact that the husband didn't change the toilet paper roll. Mm-hmm. And it was so not about the fucking toilet paper. Never. And is. once we got under it, it was like, holy shit, I can't believe we just had a conversation about a toilet paper roll that turned into that. Yeah. You know, that that was so deep and so rich. Cause as you said, it goes vertical. It goes right deep. It's like a it's like a oil drill. Yes. <laughs> right yes, to the yes, core yes. of the earth where like all the molten lava or whatever the hell is down there. Yeah. And partly that was, you know, that's because the therapist who's trained in imago therapy will give you prompts to kind of complete like sentence stems. So potentially what hurts me about that is, and then you continue on that sentence or Mm -hmm. what scares me about that is what that reminds me of from my childhood. Yeah. That's always something. Yeah. That's the bit. That was always the big one for us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, it is because it gives you insight and it helps release you from the current situation, realizing this is actually about my past childhood wounding that I'm bringing into this. And sometimes that's enough to release it. And sometimes you still need to figure out the problem. And then you go into a behavior change request where you ask your partner what they could do differently. Yeah. And the thing that I find so powerful um, about that is that about the dialogue itself? And maybe we should highlight what the dialogue is. I mean, it really is, as you said, there's a sender and a receiver. And the receiver is literally only allowed to receive yes. and mirror, right? They can, they can, they mirror and they summarize, but the sender is the only one whose point of view is being discussed at this particular moment. Exactly. So if I ask you for an Imago dialogue, at first of all, I ask if now is a good time. And the partner can say yes or no. And if they say no, it's not a good time. You're not allowed to have the dialogue. You have to show Right. And that respect for your partner's availability is so important, you guys. Like, pay attention to that. Yes. It's so important because, first of all, you're not going to get anything accomplished if they say no and then you barrel ahead anyway. If someone is not in a position to receive information that you need to give them, don't give them the information. Right. Because you will not get any outcome that you want <laughs> ever. Mm-hmm. That's like that's like communication 101, right? That mm-hmm. goes for anything, any kind of conversation. Asking permission to have a conversation, whether it's an Imago dialogue or not, is always a good communication tool. 100%. And then if it's not a good time for the receiver, tell them when a good time would be. Right. And make exactly. yourself available. Don't just blow it off like, no. Exactly. 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 So when can we do this? How about tomorrow afternoon after Mm -hmm. we pick up the kids or whatever? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and then the receipt, the, the sender gives sort of bite-sized pieces of information Mm -hmm. um, enough that the, that the receiver can mirror it exactly. And the, the, the receiver, I mean, we can get into the technical, the technicalities of it where the receiver can raise their hand and say like, okay, I've got enough and then mirror it. But the point is, is that the receiver is not responding in any way. They're simply absorbing the information. When you're sending, by the way, you're also keeping everything in eye language. You're not blaming. You're not attacking. You're, you, are, you have a responsibility as a sender to communicate in, an, in a way that is very responsible. responsible. Yeah. And then when you start to get into what it triggers and all of that, it just opens compassion wells, mm. right? It just, when you hear someone that you love say, 
that, you know, so let's say, for example, sorry, I'm talking on and on. No, you're doing such a great job (laughs) describing this. And I'm loving hearing (laughs) it from the perspective of somebody who's like truly experienced it. Yes, I've done it. And I'm not a trained professional in it, but I did it for years. Right. And that was my experience. Like when my husband would say, would, would give me all this information that otherwise would sound critical or I would get defensive about or whatever. And he handed me this information in this very controlled way. And then was like, it triggers my childhood wounding. I was like, I don't, I don't want that for you. Right. Right. Like, oh my God, that's (laughs) awful. Right. But it, but it requires, it requires the sender to be really responsible in how they're sending the information. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We, we really want to avoid any blaming, shaming, or criticizing, as you said, using I statements. And it also requires a high level of vulnerability from the sender. It really does. And that can yeah. be hard. That can be hard. Certainly if there's, I mean, if there's abuse, I mean, I don't, would you, would you do Imago if there's any kind of like verbal or emotional abuse? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If there's physical <laughs> abuse that's more than just situational, we wouldn't even do couples therapy. Right. There, right. I mean, there's different types of abuse, but if it's like sometimes you get mad and throw your phone across the room, honestly, that's still fine in couples therapy. Not to do it, but like right, we won't. Couples therapy is not, not going to incite more violence at home. If there's consistent violence at home, we wouldn't even do couples therapy. No. But emotional abuse, absolutely, because this is the antidote to it. Mm-hmm. This is the antidote to like berating your partner and not being vulnerable and just being aggressive and really changing the dynamic. Say more about that because it feels so, you know, from the perspective of someone who was in imago therapy with Mm -hmm. someone who was emotionally abusive, Mm -hmm. um, I felt like we never really, I felt like we never really talked about the real stuff. There was, you know, because holy shit, well, also we were doing group. Mm. um, Oh, interesting couples imago. So there was a level of, it was, it was another layer of vulnerability. Oh yeah. I don't know. I, I, there's something, there's something in me right now. I'm just noticing that's a little Mm -hmm. resisting. Like how would you work with emotional abuse in an imago situation when it requires vulnerability from somebody who is actually terrified of being vulnerable because it's really not safe. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So meaning the one who's being abused or the abuser, because both are terrified of vulnerability in these instances. Yes. But the one who's being abused. Okay. Yeah. You would still do it just the same process, but what would happen, the the way the group was set up, that might've been part of it because in a one-on-one situation with a therapist, there is so much control like mm-hmm, the therapist mm-hmm. is yeah. rewording things. If the partner who's abusive is starting to sound harsh, she's stopping it. She's asking, don't mirror that like, or he or she, whoever the therapist is. So there's, there's ways that like we would really step in and shift the dynamic right. and make it safe for the partner who is feeling yeah. abused. And so, but still the, I know what you're saying. Like there's this fear of showing your vulnerable underbelly to somebody who's going to tear it open with their claws. Yeah. And also usually behind closed doors. Right. So, you know, a lot of the, a lot of these people are very, you know, in, in front of people, they're not, they're not doing it in front of people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. So like in the session, it's all very 
controlled and above board and, and, you know, really looks like they're doing the work. Mm-hmm. But then the other person knowing that this is, when we leave this session, this is not. So I would say that person mm-hmm. should bring that up in a dialogue. Okay. That yeah, should be, mm-hmm. yeah, like that should be brought up in the open so that, or out in the open so that yeah, the therapist can help you deal with that. Mm. And maybe then the therapist would say, hey, to the abused partner, let's meet a few times individually and talk about how you can keep yourself safe in those instances, how you can mm-hmm. set some boundaries, mm-hmm. how you can walk away if it's getting abusive. And literally like that may be a shifting point, bringing that up in therapy for the abused partner to realize this isn't working mm-hmm. and I'm giving every single thing I can here. And then we're going home and the dynamics exactly the same. So pay attention to that. Yeah. And that will happen yeah. with a narcissist. They will put on a show in this in the room and be mm-hmm. the perfect listener and the perfect sender. And then they get home and they refuse to use it. Yeah, right. Exactly. So just exactly. know, but like... Y- and if that's happening, that needs to be brought to the attention of the therapist, right? I would... Absolutely. Like, yeah. And troubleshoot it with them, mm-hmm. the therapist. Mm-hmm. And again, like you're just doing everything you can. You're in therapy because you want to do your due diligence before leaving. Like you're trying to save your marriage. Right. To do right. that, you need to put it all out on the table. Mm-hmm. So if you do that and you troubleshoot it and your partner's still not using the dialogue and still refusing to be, you know, cooperative, then that's really good information for you. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much your answer. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's a premise in Imago that I am curious about your thoughts on. And the premise is that being in a, in a relationship with someone who is, I'm just wondering if we've really covered the depth, like how, how an Imago dialogue and Imago therapy works. I mean, the, the premise of the therapy is that we, you know, we choose people who mirror, who are our imago matches. So they mirror our childhood wounding Mm -hmm. in similar ways that we were wounded. And so if, and if they will change their behavior, they will heal our childhood wounds. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious about what you, what your thoughts are on that. The idea that someone else can heal us by uh-huh. behavior changes. What? T- let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I can see from your face this is the part you don't agree with. <laughs> I yeah. heard you talk about this in another I was episode, and I was like, I yeah. wonder which part she doesn't agree with. Uh, <laughs> and well, I was like, here it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing. I yeah. have seen it work. I've really mm-hmm. seen it work with friends mm-hmm. of mine. Uh, but I also have like another really good friend who's a therapist who's like, I fucking hate Imago because this is bullshit. And I'm like, Uh oh, interesting. Okay. It's an interesting perspective. I'm not married either way. I'm actually like, uh, but it's, but it is an interesting question, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a fine line between handling your own shit and asking somebody else to handle it. Mm -hmm. And, um, in Imago, there's something called a behavior change request. And a lot of Imago therapists don't even use it because it doesn't work a lot of the times. Mm -hmm. Really? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Because I mean, you can ask somebody to change until the cows come home. And if they like, a lot of times they can't because the thing you need from them the most is the thing that's hardest for them to give. Right. Exactly. Um, Which is why you're attracted to them to begin with. 
so just to just to pull this thread for a second, so just or to backtrack a little bit. So basically, at the end of a, at the end of the Imago dialogue, you say like this thing that you're doing is really bothering me, or you know, or I I'm I feel sad or scared, whatever, when you do this or when you say this to me, mm-hmm. um, and it triggers my childhood wounding of X, Y, and Z, and it would really help me heal if you would. Yes. And so there's the behavior change request. You got it. So, uh, I mean, my experience, like it's not a Mongo dialogue until there's a behavior change request. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing about the behavior change request is that your partner can say yes, no, or maybe that's they, the important part. That is the important part. Is it? And, and in, in well, the way we did it was you would rate it, right? You would say like, that's totally easy for me. Absolutely. Or that's really hard for me, but I am willing to stretch and grow in order to meet your needs mm-hmm. or that's too hard. It triggers my shit. I can't do it. Yes. Okay. So this is where your question comes in is what if they can't do it or what if they can do it right. and they, and they don't it still doesn't help <laughs> or, <laughs> right. or, yeah, or they don't. Right. I think just by virtue of having the conversation and hearing that your partner is willing to try, sometimes that's healing enough. Hmm. Also having the conversation and hearing, I can't do that because it's in direct conflict with my childhood wounds is sometimes enough to help people agree to disagree. Like, okay, I understand why you can't give that to me. I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm not going to like hate you for it and make you wrong for it. Um, But I put it out there. So that's what I want. And maybe one day we'll be at a point where you can do that. But for now, I'm clear on why you can't and I'm accepting it. Mm. So you're not always going to get what you need to heal from your partner. Right. But you might get clarity on why you're not getting it, which in itself is healing. It's not about you. It's not about you not being enough. It's not about them not wanting to give you things. It's so that sometimes shifts it enough that you're like, okay, I can do without that or I can handle it myself. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That's actually interesting. That's a, that's a bit of a shift for me is realizing that the dialogue itself just just hearing why your spouse, why your partner can't do it might open up like a compassion or some kind of um, intimacy yeah. in and of itself. And forgiveness. And forgiveness, right. Mm-hmm. And acceptance, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so sometimes behavior change requests don't even happen. Mm-hmm. This is news to me. This is totally fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if... Okay. So behavior change request or not, do you believe like as an Imago practitioner, um, that this process can heal people's, that that your partner, that you can be healed through behavior changes of your partner? Um, healed as in it's never going to come up again. No. Right. I mean, right. (laughs) Um, but healed as in you're going to have greater insight and you're going to shorten the length between something happening and you getting reactive. So, or sorry, increase the length Uh so that you, something happens, you have more time to realize what this is about and more understanding to realize what's this about. So you can choose consciously whether you want to react or not. So Imago is less about healing childhood wounds, though I think that languaging for sure is used in the book. Yeah, definitely. And more about becoming conscious of them and then being able to make a conscious choice 
most of us are just unconsciously reacting to circumstances that are triggering our past wounds without realizing it. Yes. If you can gain that awareness, you can then choose, do I want to react this way or not? And that's, that's healing. That's really the, the crux of healing. I mean, it really is, right? Because it is, healing is not about not having the wound. Mm-hmm. It's about putting the space between the wound getting blown on or rubbed or hit yeah. and screaming, ow, <laughs> enough so that you can go, ow, that actually kind of, that hurt. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. As opposed to, ah, what the fuck did you hit me? Like, you know, right. right. Because at the end of the day, I mean, I always talk about this, like I have a huge festering wound on my shoulder and you happen to bump my shoulder. It's not your fault that you bumped my shoulder. I have a festering, I'm the one with the festering wound (laughs) who, you know, it's my wound. Yeah. So, you know, and I can either scream at you for, for bumping it, or I can say to you, Hey, I don't know if you noticed, but I have this really huge festering wound on my shoulder. Can you try not to bump it? And if we took that analogy a step farther, I love that analogy. You could say, sometimes I'm taking care of it and cleaning it out and putting on ointment and changing my bandage. And sometimes my partner can help me with that. Yes. I love that. I love that. Yeah. That's great. That's Yeah. So I think it's, it's not an all or nothing like, okay, your partner, if they change, it'll heal all your childhood wounds. A, they can't do that because their childhood wounds are in direct conflict with it almost always. Almost always. Yes. And that's important. I want to, I want to like give that a little weight, right? Because when I say to somebody, like, it's really, you know, because one of my biggest triggers is lateness and, and mm. lack of communication and inconsistency. So when I make a request of someone to be more consistent in their communication and to show up on time or call me, it's nine times out of 10 triggering their wounding of feeling suffocated and overwhelmed in relationships, yes. <laughs> right? And so it's a challenge. Yep. It's a challenge. And so then we have to talk through and work through, okay, how do we both feel comfortable and okay and safe? Yeah. Because it's not just my wound here. Now it's two wounds. Like, how are we going to now navigate that? Because if it was just like, oh, no problem, I probably wouldn't have chosen that person. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But both of you talking about that lessens the pressure on the wound and kind of helps you gain understanding so that you don't have to be so reactive about them being late or they don't have to be so reactive about you requesting them to be on time. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Sorry. You were in the middle of something. I just, but I wanted to like, that's okay. I yeah. Want to kind of like stop there. Cause it's, re- it is important to know that like your triggers trigger his triggers and like, that's how this works. <laughs> that's yeah. How we choose each other. I did have a point B and I don't remember what it was anymore, but it's okay. I think we had already covered it anyway. I was just reiterating it. So who cares? Yeah. (laughs) Ah, Sorry. No, Um, I think that was a good place that it took us. So (laughs) I'm wondering, um, okay, so (sighs) we, you know, we do this, right? Like we do this whole thing where we choose people who, you know, mirror our childhood wounding or trauma or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering like, what, what, like, how can we overcome this? Like, how can we, is there a way to over, to like, stop doing this, to stop being attracted to the people who trigger these things in us? To a certain extent there is, but I think you'll always be attracted to a certain prototype of that, maybe just to a lesser extent. Yes. Um, yeah. And and sometimes, again, it's about becoming conscious and overriding that 
unconscious desire to date somebody who's emotionally unavailable because you think you're going to be able to change them and you're going to heal all your childhood wounds. So partly, especially if your love time template is one of abuse, you, you have to consciously override that. Like you, you can't be getting in relationship after relationship with abusive partner. Uh, I mean, you can, but it'll be a pretty miserable life. So that's your own healing, individual therapy. And individual therapy. I was going to say, how, mm-hmm. do you, how do you do that? Like what's your prescription for somebody who is, has been an abusive relationship after abusive relationship? So definitely in the friend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my own therapy. <laughs> I mean, I think you already know all the answers based on what you talk about. So yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, I'm, yeah, but we'll tell the rest of the post. <laughs> no, I think the biggest piece is, as self-love and worthiness and reparenting yourself. So Amago is kind of about helping your, your partner reparent you. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have a partner or if your partner is not capable of that, you've got to take responsibility for reparenting yourself. So getting really in tune with what the little inner child inside of you needs and comforting them, soothing them, loving them through whatever hard experiences come up and literally having dialogues with your inner child about it. That's a big piece of reparenting. Mm. Changing your inner dialogue, like how you talk to yourself, um, like you're talking to a small child. Right. Yeah. That's kind of the, and then just really practicing embodying self-love. So doing things that are loving to your body and kind to your soul and nurturing yourself. Like these these things will increase your worthiness where if somebody doesn't treat you in that loving, kind, nurturing way, it's going to be like, what are you doing? This is terrible. Right. It'll feel so incongruous. Yes. Yes. That's what we want, right? We want, you want to be surrounded with so much self-love and love also with your family and friends like that. Anyone coming in with anything other than that is like, this doesn't literally does this fit. The suit does not fit. Yeah. I will not put this shoe on my foot. Yeah. And you'll start to see it so much more clearly as you start to heal yourself. So before what you wouldn't have known until like six months in that they are this way or a year in or years in, you'll start to spot it a lot faster. I was literally just talking about this on a, um, I do a community call, bi-monthly community call with all of my clients and everyone who's in my programs. And we were talking about this and I was saying that like, you know, someone was saying that she's with someone and it's been like six months and she feels like it's toxic and she's, and all of this. And she was sort of berating herself. And I was like, honey, you figured it out within six months. Mm -hmm. The last time it was 10 years. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) this is good news. This is great. You know, it was like, you know, she went from 10 years, then like a year, I think with her first boyfriend out of her marriage and then six months with this one. I was like, look at that. Look at that pattern. That's like, that's going in the right direction, right? We don't get rid of this. We don't just like exercise this or like, you know, extract it like a tooth. Yeah. But we learn how to recognize the signs and like not be okay with it much more. Totally. And I think there's definitely a progression in self-love and doing your own personal work. So you might work with a therapist or a coach for a little while, feel like, okay, my work with them is complete and I really love myself. And then 
notice that you're getting back into unhealthy relationship patterns and realize, oh, there's another layer here. And then you might work with a different therapist or a coach or maybe go back to the same one. And I, there's so many layers to this that your work is never done. Like you've never arrived. Um, but over time, so if you feel like I've done the work and I haven't changed the patterns, there's deeper layers to the work. There's more work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's somatic now. Like maybe you've done the cognitive stuff, but it's time to get into the body work of EMDR or somatic therapy or something like that, where this, this pattern, this trauma is like stored in your tissue and it's time to get that shit out. That's my next step. Yeah. It's powerful. It's powerful stuff. I don't want to. I don't want to. And then like my anxiety and my, I'm like, fuck. Okay, fine. So it's just such an indicator that it's, exactly what you need to do. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, I'm well aware. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, yeah, ah! I get it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, every time, you know, they talk about the onion, right? We're just peeling mm-hmm. the onion. There's always another layer. And sometimes, you know, you get to a layer and you're like, oh, this is good. We're great here. And then like, all of a sudden it starts to crack and you're like, shit. Yes. You know? And if you're and- like, oh, someone like you or me, where we're like, oh, look, oh shit, there it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we know oh, we damn have it to. now I have to go back yeah I have to go back. no I just started working on my next layer like it's never done I have a doctorate in this shit and I'm still doing the work like it doesn't stop you guys it doesn't stop nope it doesn't. So you're not bad or wrong for not being done that is just the way if you're committed to your personal growth there will always be more work to do yep yeah I 100% agree I always say there's there's you, you we're not done until we die yeah and if you and if you are done, you're probably like dead inside. Yeah. Maybe that's a terrible thing to say, but But you know what does shift that I wanted to address is the, the place that you come from in the work starts to shift as you become more Mm self-loving. So I noticed in the beginning when I was doing my own personal growth and therapy and stuff like that, it was coming from a place of me being like bad, wrong, broken, not enough, just all this negative, you know, self-talk. Yes. And now, now you have to fix yourself. Right? Exactly. There's something yeah. wrong. I have to fix it. Yes. And now it's really coming, coming from a place of, oh, fun. This is the next layer. I mean, maybe not fun all the time. It's hard work. But like, oh, look, this is interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm still enough. I'm not bad or wrong because this came up. But this is just like guidance from the universe that, hey, this is the next layer of your growth. Dive in. So that shifts yeah. as you get farther into the work. You don't go from coming from a place of I need to be fixed. It's just I get to grow. Yes. I love that. I love that. I am wondering, let me see. What other what other questions can I ask you? <laughs> <laughs> um here's a good one. I think you put in your form. Like, how can you tell if you're playing out childhood trauma in a relationship? Or how can you tell if your partner is? Mm. There's a quote, if you're hysterical, it's historical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if you're... Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Everyone so, write that down. If it's hysterical, it's historical. If you're freaking the fuck out, it's not about what's happening right now. Exactly. Yeah. So that's a key thing. If your reactions seem way out of line for what's happening in the arguments, it's probably childhood wounding being kicked up. And same with if your partners, if that's the case with your partner and you're like, whoa, buddy, me being five minutes late was not, did not warrant this reaction, then it's a pretty good sign. 
Now, how do you tell your partner, hey, buddy, <laughs> like, I don't think this is like, it's like telling, asking a woman if they have their period. Oh my God. Right? Like, I, I don't think this is about me. I think it's about your childhood trauma. Like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, are you on the rag, honey? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> like, Men don't do that, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, please. Don't ever, don't ever ask a woman if she has her period. Yeah. Um, um, I, so this is a question that comes up frequently and yeah. you really only should take responsibility for yourself. So, if, so model it. Don't, mm-hmm. don't point it out. Yeah. But you can, you can ask for a dialogue. And the dialogue could start with, um, well, I'd like to request a dialogue. I feel like this is something I'm having some feelings about and is now a good time, blah, blah, blah. And then say, I'm feeling triggered by the level of your reaction right now. Look, we're going to do this. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, So you're feeling triggered by the level of my reaction right now. Yes. And I'm wondering if... um, a, I'm wondering if I could learn more about why you're reacting the way you are. Okay, so you're wondering, A, if you could learn more about why you're reacting the way, why I'm reacting the way I am right now. Correct. And B, I'm curious if there's anything behind this reaction that I should know about. And B, you're wondering if there's anything behind this reaction that you should know about. Yeah, because I want to be... I want to be respectful of you and any potential wounds I might be stepping on right now. Okay. So you want to be respectful of me and any potential wounds that you might be stepping on right now. Yes. And then that's it for my side of the dialogue. And then, right. Is there anything else? And so then I summarize, which is, um, so, um, what I heard you say is that, um, you're curious if there's um, more behind the reaction that I'm having because it seems like a maybe like a big reaction. Mm-hmm. And um, so you're wondering if there's anything going on behind it that you should know about because you want to be cognizant of any triggers or wounds that I have so that so that you can be compassionately aware of them. You got me. Okay. Are there, is there anything else? No. Okay. Um, so I imagine you, we, now we go into feelings, right? That makes sense because. Oh, that makes sense because. This is validation for everyone listening. So we did mirroring first. It's, it's been, been 10 time. years since I've done an Imago And you're killing it. I was like, she's so well-trained. <laughs> so well-trained. But now I don't remember that makes sense because okay. so what do I do now? Um, so, okay. So we did mirroring, then a summary, and then validation. So you're just going to explain what about what I said makes sense to you, but mm-hmm. from my perspective, right? So you're kind of coming into my world and stepping into my shoes and uh, going, that makes sense. So you might want to say like, that makes sense that you want to know about my reaction because. Yeah. That makes sense that you want to know about my reaction because um, it seemed really big to you and you're maybe a little confused and blindsided by what this is really about. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. And then you kind of just did step three at the same time, which uh-huh. is given what you shared, I imagine you might be feeling. Right. Yeah. So given what you shared, I imagine you might be feeling curious, uh, frustrated, maybe a little scared. Yeah. Are those, is that? Those are the feelings. And I'm also feeling kind of angry. Okay. And you're also feeling angry. Yeah. Okay. And then we would switch and the partner would ask, are you available for my response? Mm-hmm. And then you get into their side of things. So that's how you would, that's how you would elicit 
a, a talk about childhood wounds without being like, you're acting from a wounded place right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're on the emo- your emotional rag right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it really is. I mean, it's so controlled, but it's controlled in a way that is that a, like a lot, like you said, just allows for depth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if you were in, a session or if you had more time than we did right now and there would be so much more talk on both sides you know you would go so much deeper with it yeah people can read about this um more in in harville hendrix's book this is created by someone named harville hendrix and he has a book called getting the love you want a guide for couples which we will link in the show notes um is there anywhere else that you would recommend people sort of learn about imago yeah, I think going to a Getting the Love You Want workshop is a great yeah. step. Um, they're all across the nation. I'm actually going to one this weekend led by Harvo and Helen. I'm so excited. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's at I want to go. I know. It's at Eslan and Big Sur. I'm assisting and helping um, facilitate. And it is like, I'm such a fangirl right now to go meet them. Oh, my God. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, but there's workshops all over put on by um, Imago certified therapists all across the world. Imago's worldwide. It's not just nationwide. So you can just look up getting the love you want workshop and find one. And that's like a really, really solid place to start. And then get hooked up with potentially the person who taught the workshop or somebody... um, in your area who's a certified Imago therapist and it's transformational work. I really can't stress that enough. Or you can come see me online. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Online. So where can people find you? Coupleslearn.com and Instagram is couples learn. Facebook page is couples learn. So just so couples learn. Couples, couples learn. learn everybody. Yeah. Couples learn. It's, it's, mm-hmm so clear and precise. <laughs> I am so glad that we did this. This was really, really fun. And you know, this is like playing in the sandbox. I love to play in. So thank you so much for coming in and talking about all of this stuff. And My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Your podcast is making a difference for so many people. And I really appreciate that you let me be a part of it. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. I so appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.